Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I am joined by a lovely lady I've met here in Gigante, Nicaragua, who I've gotten to spend tons of wonderful moments with over the last year and a half and seen through the ups and downs that this place <laughs> has to offer, dishes out to all of us. And what's cool about her is that we're in the same place in a lot of ways, in life, personally, in life, uh, financially, business-wise as well. She's an entrepreneur starting her business here in Nicaragua, trying to make ends meet, trying to make her dream life for herself. And she's doing it in a very, very competitive niche. One that I think a lot of travelers, adventurers, entrepreneurs who are on the road try to fill. However, the good thing is, is that it's so competitive because there's money to be made. And so if you bring something unique and you bring your own sort of flair to it, which she does, then you can make it. And so with that said, I'd like to welcome Magenta LaRusso, Lo Russo, to, <laughs> Lo the, Russo. to yeah. the podcast because, yeah, it's going to be fun to hear about you as an entrepreneur in Nicaragua, as a traveler, as an adventurer, and the things that kind of brought you here. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, it's nice, nice to have you. Thank you for sitting down with me. Uh-huh. Um, why don't you just tell the audience a little bit uh, about where you're from and, and maybe what inspired um, your original sort of uh, travel uh, fever. So where, where am I from? I was, uh, I was born in Montreal, Canada. My dad is French Canadian. My mom's from California. They met in California and then made my brother and I in Montreal. And I believed we moved out of Canada when I was like three or four, maybe three. And then the plan was for us to actually go to back to California. But um, my parents had mutual friends in Charleston, South Carolina. So we did a little stop on the way. And my brother was a baby and I'm a toddler and they just fell in love with the place. And we just, my dad found opportunity there and he started a business, a photography business. And my mom was happy and and grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and that's kind of where my roots are from. The- yeah, it's cool. I actually got to visit you there and uh, see the city and and feel the that southern kind of hospitality vibe that yeah. the South is really well known for. And just my hair was blown back. Like I had actually flown in from uh, Israel. Israel, yeah. And it was equally as exciting to be flying in to that city mm-hmm. after in hindsight, you know, like it, it was like for me an American city until I got there and experienced it. Yeah. Then afterwards I was like, that was equally as cool as me flying to Tel Aviv, which I had done like 10, 10 days prior because it's such a city of culture and history. And like, what were you telling me that those were the first shots fired during the civil war? Was Oh it? yeah. For, uh, for Sumter and for Moultrie. Yeah. And there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of history and it's, it's a very welcoming, very diverse city, and everyone is super cool, and I really enjoyed it. But, you know, with with your dad and mom settling there, 
and you growing up there, did you have a lot of exposure to the outside world in the sense of like, did you travel to Mexico? Did you not, travel? Not in the beginning. So uh, growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, for me, like I always felt like the black sheep, you know, like I never, I had friends and, and my brother started surfing and I surfed a little with him and, you know, there was always like a, we had a good, we have a good solid family. We have good solid friends out there, but there was always like a part of me where I just felt like I didn't belong in a way. And then the first time I remember really like being stoked about like leaving and seeing a place is when my brother and I were on the surf team and uh, for the surf shop I used to work at called Pura Vida. And that was, oh man, I was in high school, maybe even middle school, I don't know. And uh, a group of wonderful people, Josh Sisson, and and um, just like a group of rad people. We, we went to Costa Rica, and Kai was super young, I was young, and we went to Nasora, and that was like, well, I don't know, like 15 years ago, probably more, who knows. And I remember this moment where we're all like, getting on the bus to leave to go back to the airport and me and this me and my buddy Josh like looked at each other and we're like what if we don't get on the bus <laughs> like we could just stay here I think there's something here and and I think that was like the first time that it sparked like there's a place where I don't know I want to be that I don't feel there's like a, another version of magenta that I want to like tap into and like be more a part of. That's really interesting you say that because that's actually a common thing theme that comes up in in other conversations I have with just people on the road and, and past episodes. Even in the last episode I did with John, episode uh -huh. forty, where we talked about you know not fitting in and that feeling that there's something else out there. There's something. There's another part of myself that needed to be fulfilled yeah. by going out into this world. For and me, it was funny. I always thought it was California. That's fun. Yeah, really. Tell me more about that. Why is that? I don't know. Just because my mom was from California and I remember being a little girl and, and like, like confiding in her and like just being like, I'm the weird one here. Mm -hmm. Like, why didn't we go live in California? And she's like, we just did bacon. I don't know. <laughs> We're here. This is nice here. Like, and it's not like Charleston's not a bad place. I love it. It's my roots. It's my home. And I have a lot of good things there, but it just wasn't meant for me. And... I don't know. It was just like that search or like a feeling of like some, there's this other version of me out there that I like have to like find. Right. And Del Dagger said it best, you know, in his episode, episode four, which is like, I just didn't fit into America. Yeah. You, know, you just didn't feel like you fit into Charleston. Yeah. I just didn't feel like I fit into Newport Beach, California. Yeah. And it's a common thread that we find in people here where it's just like, we just didn't feel like we fit in. So we had to go out and search and seek and find something yeah. And somewhere that we did feel comfortable in. Before we get into where you did find find that, you know, where was your your first big trip out of out of the states? Well, actually, my first big trip was a cross country experience. I started dating this guy, and we uh, bought a Dodge Ram van, and we went cross country for I don't know, like six months or something. We put a a mattress in the back of the van, and we went cross country, and we camped and. And we just made it work and we, we, uh, camped in national forest and it was just the two of us, you know, like living in the back of a freaking van. 
and we did a lot of hiking, got to know each other, and, and, um, so that was, like, my first, like, adventure without, like, parents, like, as an individual, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like, this is a trip by myself, or, like, well, not by myself, but, like, without, like, parental, you know, guidance or whatever, and. Was it, like, a freeing feeling? Did you love it, or was it it hard? it was crazy freeing. I, I was, like, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, I was the driver, like, actually driving and, like, planning out and, like, getting lost and, like, discovering, like, places at, like, COVID week. Like, we accidentally discovered this place in New Mexico called COVID. No, it's not even New Mexico. <laughs> it's in Utah. Um, just, like, little treasures. And um, it was amazing. Like, I, I don't know that how to explain that feeling of like actually getting it, you know, we were not living like, like a posh scene. We were in the back of a van and we're just like trying to make it work. We saw friends, we stayed on couches, we stayed in the forest and we did it for, you know, months. And then we came back to Charleston and, and this guy that I was with at the time was like, Let's one up it. Let's go to Southeast Asia. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, let's, let's do that. That sounds crazy amazing. And, um, we took the big jump and we did it. And, and then from there. How long did you spend in Southeast Asia? Uh, I think it was, I don't know, anywhere from, I think around eight months, maybe. We hopped around a lot and. It was the first time I actually got my very own, that was my first own, my own digital camera too. So that trip was different for me as far as going cross country because I had, you know, a film camera and, and that step going into Southeast Asia with an actual digital camera and I found a manual lens that fit the digital camera. So it was like a different kind of style of photography. It was no editing. There was no anything. It was just all like raw photography. And it was the first time I like felt alive and awakened of like a new style of photography that I wanted to do, you know? That's really cool. I mean, you touched upon a few things I'd love to bring back into the fold. Um, I mean, first being that, you know, Misfits and Rejects, we interview a lot, a lot of expatriates, travelers, adventurers, and you know, we definitely advocate, you know, trying to make your way in the world and design your life in the way you want. Yeah. And I love the fact that you started in America. You know, there's nothing wrong with traveling yeah. America and, and, and designing your life there in any way you want. And there are tremendous amounts of beautiful places and secrets that you can discover within your own country if you are from the States. Um, so, like, definitely if, you know, you're out there and you want to, you want to try something new, like just, yeah, get in the car and start driving because America has so many beautiful places to see. It was cool. Actually, the second, I've gone cross country three times. And the the last time was my father was sick and we bought an RV and my mom decorated it all nice and put the dog in. And this was like my dad's like dying wish. She's like, I want to go and see the world, like see the country with my family before I go. And, um, and it was amazing, like, this, the United States actually is, like, quite diverse. Like, you see the desert, you see, you, you see the forest, you see the ocean. There's, like, just amazing, just, like, different climates and, and 
cultures. I mean, it changes like as you go through it. It's so cool. You're getting me excited to go. Yeah. Um, you know, your dad comes up a lot in conversations that we have and, yeah. and I know inspired you a lot. Tell us a little bit about your father and, and the things that he did to inspire you to become the photographer that you are today. My dad was a crazy, animated, amazing man. He was everybody's best friend. I would have to say that first. And um, he always wanted to help people, but he was he was a photographer, and he had been a photographer since he was 19. He used to shoot the Grateful, Grateful Dead tours in Canada, and um, when he moved to Charleston, he was successful. He, he was... You know, he did wedding photography, advertising, home photography. I remember he told me, he was like, I'm just a photo sled. I'll shoot anything. <laughs> and so him and I had a great bond in that area because I love photography as well. And so I just hung out with him. I did. I was his little assistant, and I learned everything I could from him. He used to shoot with a Hasselblad, which is like a two-and-a-quarter film, and it's like the like a... Not a digital camera. It's like what hipsters use now, but your dad actually used it actually, as, a, as yeah. a tool. As a tool. <laughs> and then he would take me in the dark room and develop film and make color corrections. And that's actually how I got my name was because out of the larger magenta, cyan, and yellow, and magenta was his favorite. So that's how I got my name. But yeah, he's just a uh, super talented. He did karate and, and, uh, he was just, I don't know how to explain it. He's my best friend. That's cool. But then you went and studied at photography, actually. I mean, you took what his career kind of meant to him and, <laughs> and, your pa- and you found your passion within it and then took it to another level. Because he didn't, did he go to school for photography? He, he, I think he did a little schooling maybe in Canada, but like my dad was a hustler. Like we, we, him and I have the same like personality in that aspect. Like I hustled to like make things happen and, and he did too. And, um, his, uh, upside was like actually just like, like having this great relationship with people and building on it. And that's how he was successful. And plus his artwork is amazing too. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, after I went to the artist of Atlanta and, uh, I'll never forget that day. It was like, I think it was my couple months into school and they're like starting to take out half of the uh, darkroom equipment. And like construction-wise? Like construction-wise. Like demolitioning buildings. Yeah. yeah, because like the darkroom is dead. And I grew up on film, you know? Like I thought that was the way you make money. And as a photographer, photography was like, you know, a trade that you actually hire somebody for. Nowadays, everybody's a photographer. So it's like the competition and actually getting hired for a job is more difficult. And I'll never forget that day because we were watching all this construction go down and my professor looked at me like dead eyes, like the, the dark room is dead. The dark room is dying. <laughs> this is the day where it's going to turn into digital. And I'm not really a computer kind of person. And this artwork and this art that I've found like so deeply fond of, like changed into a digital world. And it was just a couple months in. It was just like the timing. And this and is your freshman year? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, at least that's year. that's good that you didn't pay for four years or three years and then have all your education become pretty much obsolete. Yeah. And I felt grateful because at that time I was like getting in the game. 
And then it was so fascinating too, like going home to my dad and like teaching him about Photoshop. And he's like, wow, like the burn and dodge tool, like we used to do with our hands, like with light, like in the dark room. I don't know what that means. Can you explain what that means to our audience? So it's like lighting, like when you see a photo and like burning it, like makes it darker. So there's a tool in Photoshop, like burn. But how would you do it without that tool back in the day? You do it with your hands. So there's a certain amount of time that you have light on a piece of paper. And so you count it and you do like shadowing. With your hand. With your hand. You put your hand under the light. Yeah. And you just count it. You see a certain area that needs to be darker. And so you just like kind of move your hand and like kind and of block, block, the out, light, essentially. block out the rest of the photo and go up and down so it's a little smoother. That's how I grew up learning how to burn and dodge. It's a lost photo. art. I mean, that. Yeah. there's going to be maybe a handful of people in 100 years who even know how to do that probably. Yeah. If there's even equipment to do that anymore. Yeah, and that was another heartbreaking thing, like selling all of that. I'll bet. Because, yeah, you had a, a dark room in your house. That's how involved you were. Oh, we had the most epic dark room. I remember, like, days where my dad would shoot uh, aerial photography, and we would How have, would he do that without a drone? Without a drone? <laughs> <laughs> we had a helicopter. So you had to rent a helicopter? We rented a helicopter, and I strapped, we strapped my, my brother and I both had two experiences doing this over the actual peninsula of Charleston, South Carolina. I went up once a couple times with him and my brother did too. And we strapped my dad in and we are strapped in and he has his camera, film camera. He's hanging over the helicopter and he's shooting film of aerials. And of I mean, cityscapes. Cityscapes. Yeah. Anything. Hmm. We've done a bunch of them. So he wasn't contracted to do this. He just did it. Cause he no, they were contracted. Yeah. Oh, okay. They were paid jobs. But um, another great thing, like, I remember having actual, like, I don't know, like, five foot by 20 feet long pieces of paper. We hang them up in the dark on the wall. And then we have a projector that puts the image on the paper. We roll it up and we feed them panel by panel through the enlarger. And then we piece them together panel by panel. Wow. And we're talking like, I don't know, like uh, 10 to 20 feet by 20 feet up, like whole walls, not digital, all by film, fed through an enlarger. So rad. What a tremendous amount of work. So then when you graduated with your degree in photography, what was your plan? like? Well, after I graduated, that's when I found out my dad was starting to get a little sick, and that's when we did that cross-country trip. Mm-hmm. And... um and then after that, I came home and then did, like, another cross-country trip with that guy. Kai went off and did um, some kiteboarding and I think, Dominican Republic. And um, my dad was just sick for a long time. He was just, he had uh, liver cancer, and he would bounce back and then get down and bounce back again. And there was just a point where I was there for a lot of them. He went through two liver transplants, and... Um, and I don't know, like, there was a while where I, like, wanted to put stuff on hold and be there for the family. And then other times where my mom, I mean, there was, we even lived in Canada for a little bit for the first one, for his first transplant. Mm-hmm. And it was a rough winter. 
It's actually my favorite story about my brother on the bus ride up. Tell us. He was, we're on our way to Canada and, um, my dad's super sick in the hospital and me and my brother are on the Greyhound from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We're taking a Greyhound all the way up to Canada and about, I think I forget where we were like midway, maybe West Virginia or, or New York or something. I was like, I just want to sleep. I'm going in the back bench of the bus and I'm going to pass out. And then I'm like, all right, little brother here, I'm here passing out. And then apparently we did like some stops and kind of like got hungry and got off the bus. He's like, I need a sandwich. And I got off the bus and then I wake up at the border of Canada and all I see is remnants of where I left my little brother was a sweater. <laughs> and I was like, wait, um, just the sweaters there? Where's my little brother, man? And I, I was like, I don't know, like 19 or something or 20. And um, I go up to the bus driver, like totally confused. I was like, dude, did we stop? Like, where'd my, what happened to my little brother, man? He's young, this big, blonde. He's not on the bus anymore. And we're on the border of Canada. All of his stuff is here. He's missing. And, she, and he was like, I don't know, like not my responsibility. I was like, you're freaking kidding me? All right, cool. Let's go to Canada, I guess, without my little brother. My mom picks me up and she's like, where's Kai? Like, piece of shit out of me. How old is he at this point? Ah, he was, in his, he was like early teens, maybe like 12 or 13. I am losing my shit, so freaking out. And apparently Kai got hungry, got a sandwich, missed the bus. Got the next two buses later to Canada. Like somebody helped him out and like kind of showed up like a couple hours later. <laughs> hey, he's resourceful. Yeah. That's he, cool. He's a smart kid. You got it. I was just like. What the hell? Kai's gone missing. Then yeah. so what, you know, brought you down to Nicaragua? How'd you wind up here? My brother brought me to Nicaragua. I just gotten back from a gnarly breakup in Southeast Asia and I went back home and I hadn't seen Kai. My brother and I have always been close friends, I feel like. We were never those brothers and sisters that like argued too much and I just generally missed my brother. And he'd been telling me that he was in Costa Rica and moved to Nicaragua. And I met him in Charleston. And uh, he was like, dude, I love this place. Like, just come down. He's working at Surf Lodge. And um, I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I came down. And I was only supposed to be here for like two weeks or something. And I had a return ticket. And I remember the day that I was like, oh, this is my return ticket back. And I'm not going back. And I was looking for a job and just... So wait, wait, you didn't take your return ticket. How long did you wind up staying? I ended up staying for a whole year. A year? Yeah. You're meant to be here two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. We got stuck. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you have any intention of using photography down here when you came? Or was it just kind of like, were you using your photography at all at this point in your life? or? I brought my camera down and... You know, the connection I have with photography involves a lot with my dad. And I think I intended to, but I kind of put photography aside. Like, I just wasn't, I don't know. I, after Southeast Asia, I hadn't been inspired like that in a while since recently. So when I first got here, I really just was trying to feel it out. I wanted I just, I didn't even think to think about photography as a job, really. Got it. 
I wasn't feeling it at that time. So you came for two weeks, you didn't take your return ticket, and now you're just on the hustle trying to make ends meet. Like, what were you doing I to make hustling. money? I was hustling. I was working at a taco stand that Cassidy and Ben and and uh, Rebecca actually got me my first job here at Tacos Banditas, and I was making epic tacos in the center of town with Jeanette and Marta. How much were you making an hour? $2 an hour. $2 an hour. Plus was, tips. Plus with, tips. Was that enough to live off of? Barely. Not really at all. So you were having to live off your savings as well. I didn't have savings at the time, actually. So I was doing that um, on a four or five days a week. And then I went to John, actually. John Ames and... Episode 27, folks. John Ames. Yeah. Tune in. And he... And I just kind of clicked right away. He just had a great energy and... And he had a sailboat, and I was just like, what? I want to learn how to do this. And so I would work on the sailboat with him for, I don't know, I don't even remember, not a lot. I just did what I could. Like, I did everything I could. So you had no savings, zero money in the bank. No. no you landed here to spend two weeks with how much money? I think I came here with less than $1,000. Okay. And then? My you- rent was maybe 150 bucks a month. And I made exactly 150 bucks a month working at the taco stand. I ate tacos. <laughs> and so you basically stretched a thousand bucks. You're able to cover your rent for that year you were here. Yeah. And you just kind of lived and hustled and, and loved it? Or I loved did you it. feel stuck ever? No. I mean, I did for uh, after a while, you know, like I feel like the one thing about this place that is very important is you do take breaks, but, um, yeah, I just did what I could, and I actually like looked at it like a challenge. And I think back to that one conversation I had with my brother <laughs> before I moved here, because he went through the same thing. He was living in a hammock, and he had that struggle moment, and it was almost like a challenge-accepted moment. Like, I'm not going home. I'm not giving up. I want to see if I can do this, like live like this. And, like I don't know, it was like challenge-accepted. And I had that same, like, stubborn, like, point of view of it. I wanted to see if I could freaking do this. Like, live in a third-world country. I remember showering in the in the cove right over there with good conditioner. Like, a little shower here in this little cave. And then go to work at the taco stand and, and give my dog a can of tuna and, you know, have a corn tortilla for... lunch with Marta. It's so poetic and beautiful. I mean, but the struggle's real. Without um, knowing Spanish as well. Right. And I want to bring you back into the struggle a little bit because I know you've had an exceptional amount of like um, classic, if you will, Nicaraguan moments of recent. But before we get there, I'd like to know a little bit more about like what drove you home and how you got there. Like why did you have to leave after that year? So after that first year, uh, I got a phone call from my mom saying that my dad was getting sicker and sicker and he had been up and down and we just hadn't quite really spoken a lot. My parents were very adamant on my brother and I living our lives and because my dad had been sick for so long and, and it's like, you could only hold on, put your life on hold for so long and they knew we were happy out here. So I'm working at the taco stand and, you know, kind of on money. My parents don't come from money. 
and we get a phone call saying that he developed like leukemia and he has like just days to live. So of course I'm a total mess. And, um, one of the customers at the, that had been going to the taco stand on a daily basis, she had a kid and I have a background with just being rad with kids and I cover the kid and give her chicken tacos without onions, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she was like asking why I was so upset. And, and Becca told her and she is, she's a nurse and it's awful to this day. I still don't know her name. She, she bought me and my brother a plane ticket for the next day to go see my dad. Like wow. just out of the kindness of her heart. I've known her what, like a couple weeks one, like, um, not very well. This is a stranger. And, um, and so Kai and I took it and, uh, we went straight away. Spirit Airlines, fuck you, Spirit Airlines. So it got delayed. I don't know, like five, six hours. Robin Schuler, one of my friends and family picked us up. We rushed over to go see my dad and, He'd just been holding on for us. He wanted to see us before he went. And so we saw him. He wasn't able to talk, but started crying. And we just crawled in bed with him. My mom and my muscle Kathy was there, my aunt Kathy. And it was me and my brother. And my dad just left us with all of his favorite people in his arms. Wow. Just, That's beautiful. Just Makes in, me get choked up. Um, you know, the kindness that you just speak of is just remarkable. You know, when you get out there in the world and you start to put yourself out there and be open to what people have to offer, if you are willing to accept it, you know, and I think your story right then is just such a beautiful example of like, people are so giving in this world, but you just have to be willing to accept it when it does come your way. Also, I think it has a lot to do with being here. You know, like being in a different country and being in a small town like this, like the sense of community that is here and even visitors and people I've known since I've been here, like we're all here, you know, like it's, it just seems more real. Mm -hmm. Like the struggle is harder and real and just like, it's just raw as fuck. It's just insane. So you don't think though, like, in a big city in America that you get the same sort of support? I don't think so in a minute. I don't know. I, I had a different situation because my mother passed in a similar way. And, um, you know, my community around me, you know, in, in Southern California rallied and but helped was out. Was it from strangers? Yeah. We did like a uh, GoFundMe campaign to help with the financial aspect of my mother's passing. And yeah. um, a lot of people donated that I didn't know. That no. you had no idea who they were? Nope. You know, and they're probably friends of friends of friends, you know, twice removed or something like that. But, yeah. you know, the world, I think, is filled with good people. And unfortunately, due to due to media and, and the fear-based media that we, a lot of people live there daily by, yeah. we get the impression that it's not, when I don't think that's true at all. You know, I've been to some really hardcore countries and um, that was filled with violence. But the violence was always done by the, the elite power that was trying to govern the company, the country or something like that, where down on the ground, these small little villages or even in a city, there's somebody always willing to take you in and say like, Hey, this isn't a safe street to walk down. Like, let me help you out. Yeah. You know? And so after my travels as well, I kind of came to a point where I think the world's good. 
and not a bad place. It's surprising. Like, it comes out of nowhere. Always, yeah. And you just... And I it think, always comes at a time where you like, I feel like you need it. Of course, yeah. <laughs> this is even better. It's a magical thing. Very magical. Um, sorry about your dad, by the way. It's okay. So what about you deciding to come back? I mean... Oh, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was, I was, I, this place just did something to me. I don't know. Like that feeling I was telling you earlier, like of never really feeling like I belonged anywhere. And then I just like made these friends like that, that were always there for me. Like this, it's not easy living here. <laughs> like, you know, all the stuff that I've gone through and everybody, we've all, it's tough. And, and it's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's like these challenges that come upon us and the, the surprising, like, love that comes out of nowhere. It's like, I'm always drawn. I'm always drawn to come back. And, and so, yeah. So the simple fact of you finally feeling like you fit in somewhere even with the hardships that we do face here is worth it. hundred percent. Yeah. So you are now back in Nicaragua working in many odd jobs, but striving to become essentially a, a working profitable photographer. Is that correct? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just striving to be like whatever I can be like, not only a photographer, I'd like to do, I don't know, a little bit of everything. I've always had that, like, quality. Like, I love being a photographer. I love being a property manager. I love being a bartender. I want to do whatever I can to make it work. Mm -hmm. And But you'd say your passion is photography. I mean, you're not probably passionate about some of the things you just mentioned. No. But you don't mind doing it because it's kind of interesting and fun and something new to learn. But photography is where your heart's at. If you could make money solely off photography. Would that oh, be a hundred percent? I would do it just nonstop. So now that you are here and, and developing your craft again and, you know, putting yourself out there, marketing it, you know, what kind of challenges have you been met with? Like well, what's with the hardest? Photography? Yeah. What's the hardest part for you? I mean, photography, finding work, I think right now, I don't want to like step toes on other photographers here that have been here longer for me. And, it's just a finding work I think is the struggle Mm -hmm. there's not enough demand as as we kind of like I said it's a digital world now everyone's a photographer and and we're in Nicaragua where everyone's down paid at least 30 to 50 percent versus America so they're paying 30 to 50 percent less than any American job yeah yeah Yeah, we don't get paid as much I mean we Everybody knows that here. When you come to Nicaragua, you work way hard. We all work so hard. And we don't get paid as much as the first world. Right. We're third world prices here. And and I don't have the amount of, you know, Nicaraguan surfing photography experience that most other people do. And I... And I and I don't want to, and I love and respect all the other surf photographers here, but they've been here longer than me. And so, and I respect and love them, but also I, I want to do it my own way. I want to, I want to find my own way of doing it. Yeah. That's, that's magenta. I don't know how to explain it or right. figure it out. I'm still right. figuring out. Right. That's what it is. 
I think, you know, the amount of time we've spent together and the, the, the adventures that we've had and you clicking away, just even with your iPhone, like, I mean, to be honest, like you rarely have your, your full on hardcore camera with you, Yeah. but the amount of quality photos you grab with your iPhone, the first time that I saw mm-hmm. those photos, I was like, the way you see the world is unique. Yeah. You know, I, I respect photographers a lot. I've really enjoyed that medium of art, but to have somebody that captures the things that you capture with your iPhone yeah. is incredible. You know, the angles that you see and just like, just, it's a really unique way of perceiving the world that you capture through the lens of your iPhone. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, with that said, you know, you have a website that yeah. people can go check out some of your work and what, what do you offer? I mean, what is your well, I work a business lot. plan, business model? Well, this past year has been super rad and exciting because I got to work with you and Carly and in India with the surf retreats and that was crazy fun and talk about that though I mean what does that entail <laughs> when you have to come on a photography trip with us as a well the first retreat? one that we actually did together was one of my favorites we were on the boat every day going to Lance's with Carly like you Carly and India are are doing um you know surf coaching and I'm on the beach videoing well, let's and, uh, give our listeners some perspective on really what this entails. Cause like folks, this is the third world and, and I'm going to kind of transition this story into the reality of it for all of us here because you're better at this story than I am. This is something that <laughs> you see a lot where, you know, we're here entrepreneurs trying to make ends meet and you are constantly against an environment that is hostile in the sense that it, it's really hard to get things to work in the way that you need them to, to be successful at your business venture. So, Hiring Magenta to become the staff photographer for our retreat, easy enough. But yeah. to then after, actually capture those images when we're traveling to all the, these various surf locations via boat entails a lot of logistically logistics planning that then in the end you realize you actually don't have any of the gear necessary to make this happen. So you have to become very resourceful. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you'd like you to take it over and describe like what it means to then be a photographer well, that has to then get to the beach from a boat. Yeah, there's the fear of uh, what's going to happen to the camera equipment. So you're in the boat and you drop off the clients. You want to make them feel safe and happy, which you're always proud at. And we're not getting like them to land, folks. We're taking them from the boat straight into the waves. So they're jumping off the boat with their in, surfboards into the waves. Yeah, into the surf. And, and now then, we have to get Magenta to the beach with her camera equipment. Without taking the boat to the beach. Yeah, so, what so do we, we, do? we put um, all the camera equipment in dry bags, multiple dry bags with tripod onto a surfboard. Jabin's kindly enough to help me come into, onto the beach. Swell is big, swell is not big. Either way, it's a long swim. It's a long swim, navigating waves, timing things. We don't uh, always do it right. No. We get dragged across rocks. <laughs> There's bloodshed. There's <laughs> putting you bloodshed. in. There's putting you in. In I don't want to say dangerous positions, but compromising crazy. situations where you're in a very remote area on the coast. Yeah. It's known to have banditos, thieves, if you will, folks. For those people who don't speak Spanish, <laughs> um, to where like you are basically sitting there with a camera and a little machete next to you, <laughs> with a towel over you, but trying to stay alert enough. Yeah. That if somebody were to come up, that they're not going to steal all your camera gear. Shank them. <laughs> yeah, that part was exciting. Um, so, I'm, and also like hydration too. Like, 
We are, I'm sitting on the beach slash rocks and the tide's coming in. So I'm trying to get a good shot, repositioning my tripod to get closer. Tide's coming in. Don't compromise the camera where, like the camera equipment. And then also like keeping eyes on you and around my surroundings. Like there's a lot of people that just come up and just rob you. And I have this, my father's gold tripod there and I'm just constantly eyes on. If you miss one shot, like this person has been waiting their whole life to surf here. They finally stood up, rode down the line. And if I blink and I miss that wave, oh, my, my heart is broken and I, I can't do that to them. Yeah. So I'm like constantly focusing on what's going on out there for six hours. And then also, you know, try not to get robbed. And die of dehydration. <laughs> <laughs> and I think other photographers who are in the well, they know. nature photography game or whatever, they all know that hardship. But yeah, you know, I think to the average listener, like that's a perspective that they would never understand. You know, right. that you do on a daily and you're trying to make a living. Like this is how you're trying to shape your life and design your life yeah. to make money. And um, but it's just beautiful thing, in so many ways. Another thing is like I enjoy it. I, that was a great time. And like, also like watching you guys work is another wonderful thing. Like you and Carly and India, like just dropping in next to everybody and like seeing the progression of how just somebody who can't even stand up and then just get better at the end of the week. And I actually film the progression of it. It's uh, it's gratifying. I love it. That's it cool. Fun. So let's bring it now to present like Magenta LaRusso. You're here in Nicaragua. Yes. You're trying to make a life. You're trying to make a business. It's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Where do you see your, what do you, where do you see yourself now? Where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Well, today was a good day. Like I had one thing break and I was able to fix it. <laughs> so there are like certain weeks that go by that are just so freaking fragging hard. And I call them Nika days or Nika weeks where it's just like everything breaks and you just like lose hope. Like I remember I told you, I think you were in California at the time and I just was broken. I was so emotional. Water was broken. My pump was broken. I got detained at the border for two hours. My dog was sick. Why'd you get detained at the border? Uh, I had a problem because they saw so many, um, Stamps from going back and forth to Costa Rica to Nicaragua. Because you only get three months as a tourist here. As a tourist, you get three months here. And then you have to go and do a border run. Typically, you go there, eat a piece of chicken wing or whatever, and come back. Um, This was actually, this past time was the first time I had a really hard time because... I hadn't been there and done a border run in, I don't know, like eight months. And so I thought I was in the clear and I got super cocky and I just went there and I came back. I didn't change the way I looked or anything. And these guys just put me aside. I was with this rad dude, Gil. He was like my little sunshine positive guy to be with because I was at that point I was on the breaking point. I just had a really bad week here. And, um, yeah, they detained me and they made me draw a map of where I live and asked me what I'm doing here. Why don't I have residency? All these really intimidating questions. And 
I got scared for a minute, but at the end of the day, they let us they let us go. And because really, what could they do? They're not going to arrest you. I mean, it's just again that authority figure having the capability to mess with you. They probably just wanted a bribe. I mean, and really I didn't give them one. Good for you. You know, and it's just it's a, I think a byproduct of again an environment where um, there's a lot of corruption. You know, on the lowest levels, and for a lot of these. And government employees are not paid a lot, so this is kind of how they make that little extra supplemental income by, that. yeah, by you know pressuring <laughs> gringos into the bribe. And you know, fair enough. When you spend enough time in these environments, it's universal. You can go to any impoverished country in the world, and you're going to encounter the same sort of treatment under certain circumstances. And it's never like going to escalate really to where you go to jail unless you were doing something shady, like trying to buy drugs or something like that. You yeah, know? I mean, I didn't think he was going to take me to jail. But at the same time, I was like, I don't deserve this. Like, right, right. You're trying to intimidate me yeah. in Spanish and English. And I know you speak English, and it was just unnecessary, you know. Yeah. And, and, I mean, he does have a point. Why am I not, you know, applying for a residency here if I want to live here? Mm-hmm. But also, I had a point. Maybe I don't want to live here. <laughs> Maybe I just want to keep going back here once in a while. Like, yeah. Let me go, man. And so they let me go, and I got home, and and I didn't have electricity or water. <laughs> just my dog was at the vet, and I just lost my shit. It was just one of those days, like just. And we all have them. Yeah, Nicaragua beat me up. Yeah, but it's still worth it to you. Still love this place, and wouldn't change it for the world. Is that correct? Ah, uh, it was so magical. I just like I kind of I cried, totally cried. And I uh, packed a bag, got on my motorcycle, and I went out to Rojo and Skib and Sue's. The friend's house. Yeah. Really good friends. And they just and took you in for the night? And- they, like, fed me and tucked me in, fresh sheets. You can stay here <laughs> as long as you want. No worries. And that's what I love about this place. Like, I can't... When you have real freaking shit that's going down and... You really feel beaten up, like, no, like, real problems, like, no water, no electricity, like, no hope in a third world country where you're by yourself and you need somebody. I have, like, ten people here I can go to, and it's, like, it just is beyond magical. I I can't explain it. I love it. Now, um, (laughs) you know, with the experiences that you've had, you know, you've, you've lost loved ones, you've lived here now a long enough time to really know that there are trials and tribulations about living in this environment, but you've stayed and you, and you see opportunity. You see a place that you feel like you fit in, as you described earlier, you know, for those people out there who haven't found that yet, is there something that maybe you could say to them and and give them encouragement to either go seek it or, or help them understand that there are places and, and people in this world that do accept you for who you are? I mean, the, yeah, there's like a, there's a moment where you, where you snap. For me, it was, I had, I had somebody that guided me through it. That initial jump, like just to get out of town. I have a lot of friends that don't even leave the country. And I guess my response to that is I got a really amazing email from a woman that I don't even know. And she wrote me out of nowhere because of my website. 
and she saw all these photos and followed me on Instagram and she was completely horrified of leaving the country. And she wrote me saying that she looked at my photos and she was like, all her friends judged her and I guess like made her feel scared about leaving the country by herself as a single female. And so my response to that was, jump into it, don't be scared, don't listen to what other people say. And I didn't either. And and if you take that initial, like, I don't know, like leap, don't listen to people, like, not to knock down other people's normal, so-called normal lives. That doesn't mean that you have to be like them or anybody else. Mm-hmm. Just, so just, yeah, I mean, if, if you feel strongly enough about something that you feel is your calling, if you will, go for it. Is that yeah. kind of what you're saying? Exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I love it. So <laughs> magentaphotos.com is where people can go and see the photos that you just described of, you know, that woman who was inspired by you and what you're doing. They could find you there, yes. contact you via your website, magentaphotos.com. Um, there's also your Instagram, which you post all these beautiful photos on that I've just described but via capturing your iPhone. And that's what? Magenta Photos High Kick. High Kicks. Magenta Ma- Photos High Kicks, yeah. Why the High Kicks? I went through this phase. Well, it's still not over. I don't <laughs> think I'll ever be over it. Um, every little girl loves pink and sparkly unicorns and and kicking things. And I never grew out of it. So, yeah, I like sparkly things. And I love doing high kicks, so... It's kind of what I'm known for. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Chapin. It was super fun. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out and spread your wings try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one but when in fact it's the perfect one for you and I'll see you next time